Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 237 of the Speaking Club podcast. To open this show, I'm sharing a quote from the legendary Leonardo da Vinci. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello there, I hope you're well. Have you heard of a fella called William of Ockham? Well, if you haven't, he's a Franciscan monk who was around about 800 years ago and he was a philosopher and a theologian who came up with the principle that when you have a problem, the simplest solution or explanation is usually the best one. Today, William's principle is known as Occam's razor, which is another word for principle or rule of thumb, and it's used extensively in philosophy and science. But I also think it's a great one to use in speaking as well. Over my career, I've worked with lots of scientists, IT specialists and engineers, and I know that sometimes it can be challenging to communicate complicated concepts and ideas in a way that's simple enough for your audience to understand. However, those people who can do this successfully stand out from the crowd and are sought after as speakers and leaders. And that's why in this Insights episode, I've reached into the archives and curated extracts from my solo shows and guest interviews that are tackling this issue. Myself and other experts from the disciplines of science, engineering and law are sharing ideas, tools and techniques for making your presentations scintillating and accessible for audiences, even if the information you're sharing is highly technical. You're welcome. Okay, first up is engineer and confirmed techie Karen Layton. And she has the original episodes I spoke to her in was number 74. And Karen hated public speaking with a passion. She had massive anxiety, which resulted in shaking and sweating when she was forced to speak at all in her job. And she described the thought of speaking as a waking nightmare. But Karen was forced to have a heart to heart with herself when she entered a competition to get funding for her invention and realised that without becoming a better public speaker, she was going to fail miserably. So she decided to do something about it and looked for a podcast to help her. That's when she discovered the Speaking Club and she binge listened to all the episodes, following the processes, putting the learning into action and fighting against all her instincts in relation to the content. So I've got some excerpts from her show where she talked about the key lessons she learned, how her public speaking changed and what happened when she took a leap of faith and tried things in a new way. Enjoy. First of all, I want you to tell me a bit more about you and what you do uh, so that people can sort of get a bit of background on you. Okay, so currently in my day job, I'm working as an engineer in aerospace and I'm on like a weather satellite program. So I'm doing a lot of software, I'm doing um, orbital analysis, and I'm generally putting together the most horrific PowerPoint slides you've ever seen. So, <laughs> Cool. So, so some big stuff you're working on, really. And, and what is that to do? What is the stuff you're working on in the day job to, to achieve? Looking at the data analysis from the weather satellites, so just bringing down the data, make sure it's all good, and then we, we, you know, it's being sent off to predict hurricanes and everything else. So, <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, so it's fair to say you're a bit of a techie, then, really. Uh, yeah, completely, completely a techie person. <laughs> and and you did use the word day job there, so yes, what, I'm assuming you've got something going on on the side. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so I just had this wild hair idea 
Um, and I just kind of ran with it. And now I'm trying to do my own little startup on the, <laughs> on the side. So that's where I'm like, okay, uh, I know nothing outside of engineering. And uh, so now I have to really try and figure out how to talk in front of people and, you know, <laughs> and convey what I'm trying to tell people instead of just uh, putting up a slideshow of, of words and bullet points and, you know, talking through those. So it's, uh, it's been a real wild ride. I also go to school part-time college. Um, so they have a kind of a little startup incubator and I submitted some slides and, a, you know, executive summary. And then they have a little competition, um, a video competition of doing your, of your pitch. And uh, that was so painful. It was so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I made it through that, but their feedback was, oh, it's incredibly technical and you have no, like, basically business in it at all. Like, there's no, there's no business part of it. So after that, I really had a, a heart to heart with myself. I'm like, okay, it's really time to try to figure out how to, how to public speak. So I, I Googled, I was like, okay, what, and uh, you know, I'm a millennial. So I go, you know, I'm like, oh, there's gotta be a podcast for this, right? <laughs> so I was uh, looking for a podcast that could help me with public speaking. I stumbled on yours and I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is gold mine. So then I just, I downloaded so many of them and I was just listening obsessively to all of them. And I felt really attacked on your, pe your technical one. Um, the, Did you? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm getting personally attacked right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, that's that's interesting feedback, but in a good way, hopefully. In a good way. In a good way. No, it was it was more of like, oh no, this is exactly what I've done wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so when you emailed me and you just said you binged, listened to to some of the episodes and. Uh, and you made some changes to the way that you approached putting together the pitch presentation that you did as a result. Can you just sort of give me an overview of what you did differently? I guess maybe contrast it to what you would have done before. Yeah. So the first time I spent about half of my time or even more talking about the technical aspects of my product, because I was so concerned. They're going to think, oh, this product's not viable or whatever. So I spent a ungodly amount of time talking over all the technical details and like why it's needed and all the, you know, just ad nauseum. Um, and I absolutely got slammed for it. I also was like, Oh, I can just totally wing this. I have like, you know, I have my points in my head. I don't need to practice. That was horrible. Every single time, every video I made was a different, uh, script and sometimes they were they missed points or they sounded you know I was like going um uh yeah I'm trying to remember what I'm trying to say and it's even like a low um stress situation because it's just a video it's not in front of anyone else really so uh geez it was boring you know and <laughs> and it was it was painful and so I after listening a lot and also you're only allowed to have five minutes so it was really kind of like putting together a haiku poem because you're like, okay, what are the most important things you can put into five minutes? Because five minutes goes a lot faster than I thought it would. Especially at the when end. you're speaking, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I want to describe everything about my, you know, company, my product, and you only have five minutes to do it. Um, so I took a big leap of faith. And I, in the beginning, I was like, okay, I should have start off with a story, you know, <laughs> or, or something, a personal anecdote or something. So I, um, but I was really worried about doing that at the same time because I'm cutting time off from the rest of the presentation. But I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Sarah says I should do it. So I'm going to do it. So I went, I started off with like a little short story that ended with like a little humorous point. So, and I actually got smiles from people when I said that I was like, yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That presentation, wasn't it? In front of what, a panel or something? How many yeah, in front of a panel in yeah. an audience, a small audience. It was, it was, it, it sounds like pathetic, right? Cause I know like I'm not getting up on stage in a Ted talk or anything, but this is something that is almost impossible for me normally. Um, even at work, I hate it. So, um, so then. <laughs> so you did your own yeah. story, you got some laughs, then what? I got some laughs. I tied it into like a metaphor for the problem and I cut out 90% of my technical details entirely. I was like, this is, I feel like this is a huge risk but I've just replaced pretty much all my technical details with a, um, with analogies about the product. 
I just went high level, like this is what it's like, this is kind of how it would work, and just removed everything, all the details. And and then I, you know, went into more of like a business and I added a little bit more humor and I just made it real light and high level. And um, I try to be real personable and smiley. And that's, that's all I did. You know, I feel like. <laughs> it sounds like you did a great job. And it's, it's, it's almost like killing your darlings, isn't it? That's what you call with the technical stuff, especially where it's just your sort of comfort zone to actually yes. let go of that stuff and focus on the stories and the metaphors to actually focus on getting the message across rather than getting into the detail. And it's your, it's your baby. So it's, it's important it stuff. Yeah. What, what is it that you were talking about? Okay. Do we want to, you want to hear what I originally pitched it as? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, let me pull it up. It's, 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 it's wordy. So my original pitch was, it's a custom cosmetic pigment dispenser that uses an RGB sensor, an interactive screen to match your skin color and extrude pigment in a formulated neutral base. So, yeah. <laughs> right, go for it. What is it now? Now, I'm just like, can, if you can imagine a scanner attached to one of those um, paint tinters you see at a home improvement store, um, but just kind of handheld, battery operated, and consumer owned. So basically, you can scan your skin color and print out pigment into a base and uh, just have your own foundation in your own little home, just like a little printer. So, wow, foundation. Well, create. So, the people will basically take the thing, get the skin paint yeah. documentation, and then the, it will create the foundation. Or do you go and yes. match it? So, it actually makes the foundation. Yeah, so it just kind of like put the, it'll just like print out the little ink and or, you know, pigments into like a little base, you shake it up and then you have your own foundation in your home. Wow. So you're at the pitch competition, you, it was in front of a panel and an audience. And what was the sort of prize? What was at stake here? Uh, so you could get up to 20K in grant money. Wow. Um, and there, there are quite a few people going and I was sitting in the in the pitch room listening to the ones before me going through like an entire panic attack over and over and over again. So I was just <laughs> freaking nervous, but, um, they're like, Oh, I'm just, you know, we have a new device basically that's going to cure cancer and, and, you know, like change the way we're going to do this paint. That's going to save you a bunch on your energy savings. And I'm just like, uh, I just want to make good makeup. <laughs> and there's like, very technical details and like okay this is going to be like the light aperitif you know and I, I'm I felt very almost defeated almost a little I'm just like well I'm just going to do what Sarah told me to do and hope for the best <laughs> and uh, what happened so and I got a 15k grant so I fantastic I never expected to do very well um especially after I saw all those other people do fantastic and they did get money but it was just, after all that, I was like, I'm not changing. I don't feel like I'm changing the world as much as these people are, but still people believed in me. Um, and a whole bunch of people came up to me after the talk to talk, be like, well, I'm really interested. I think that's really cool. So I guess it worked. So <laughs> congratulations. I'm so pleased for you. And you know, I, that you trusted in the stuff that I was telling you and you did it because, because so often people listen and they don't do anything, but you took action and, and you got the result. And I'm really, really pleased for you. Really pleased. This next extract is one from me. And the original episode is number 11. And in this Insight, I'm going to be sharing with you how you can make your data engaging. In my experience, if you're a technical expert, you can feel like you're under extra pressure when you're doing a presentation. And that's primarily because you think you've got to demonstrate your competency through your message. The problem is this can lead to detail-rich, complex and lengthy presentations that are not only fail to get you the result you want, but can leave your audience wanting to poke their eyes out with cocktail sticks. The thing is that given the importance of science, technology and engineering in the world today, and with the advent of things like blockchain and cryptocurrencies, I can't turn around at the moment without finding out about Bitcoin. I'm still not 100% sure about it. But anyway, it's likely that technical people are going to be increasingly asked to share and explain their ideas to get investment. I mean, if nothing else. 
And there's also been times in the past where the failure of a technical person to get their message across has led to catastrophe. Let me give you an example. Back in 2003, NASA engineers gave briefing on an upcoming space flight and buried in the detail of one of the slides was an indication that the wing of the space shuttle, Columbia, could be damaged during takeoff. And on the 1st of February 2003, seven astronauts were on that same space shuttle when it blew up on re-entry to the Earth's atmosphere. All of them lost their lives. Accident investigators concluded that the damaged wing had contributed to the explosion and that poor communication had caused this vital piece of information to get overlooked. The NASA engineers weren't able to get their message across. They failed to make it simple to understand. But let's face it, communicating complex ideas is a challenge that we all face as communicators and and speakers. But it's our responsibility to understand our subject so thoroughly that we can make it simple and clear enough for our audience to understand. And the good news is that there are tools and techniques that can help us. Now, as usual, though, everything starts with your purpose and your audience. And this is where my speak framework can help you. Um, I covered it off in a previous episode and I'll put a link to it again in the show notes. And keep this in mind constantly about the audience. Every piece of content that you use needs to link back to the audience's needs. Because like in every presentation, it's not about you. It's about your message. You are just the vehicle to get the message across. And if your message happens to be technical, data-rich message, it's still about the audience. Um, When you're putting your presentation together, try and see your subject through their eyes rather than yours. It's really difficult, you know, when you've got, when you're an expert and you come at things with an expert mindset, you're not going to give people the things that they need to understand your message if they haven't got that same level of understanding as you. One of the most powerful ways to show the audience it's about them and to keep them engaged is to use the magic word, you. The more that you can make it sound like a conversation between you and one person, the better your presentation is going to be. And you just make it, you know, more about them than you. And now we come to the meat and potatoes of this issue. Because I can, I can hear you thinking, yeah, that's all very well. But I've still got a shed load of technical details that I need to get across. And trust me, if you can put yourself in the shoes of your audience and use a bit of creativity, any subject, no matter how dry, can be made exciting and engaging. Think of it as a problem to be solved. Engage your imagination and I promise you, you can make it interesting and compelling. At this point, I'm going to get back on my old storytelling soapbox. If I've successfully established that an effective presentation is one that engages the audience and makes the message compelling, then it stands to reason that stories are a great vehicle to use to explain your data and bring it to life to people for people so that they can buy into your message. Let me share a real life example from my last corporate job. I call it my cups story. I was working as head of HR and we were being encouraged to take cost out. Surprise, surprise. Um, We provided free tea and coffee to our employees, but I noticed the bill coming in every month for paper cups that was costing us on average about 550 quid a month. Like over the years, quite a lot of money. So I thought it would be more sensible to issue branded travel cups that people could reuse and we'd save you know, a fair amount of money per year. Now, I could have just gone with that message. That's fairly compelling and it probably would have been fine. But knowing my audience, who could be a little bit feisty, I thought what might work better in getting them to buy into the change was to lead with some other statistics first and make a story around the message and position it slightly differently. So I jumped on Canva, which is a free tool. Um, I can include a link to Canva in the show notes as well. If you don't know about it, it's a brilliant tool for you creating logo slides, social media graphics and so on. And I used Canva in this instance to create an infographic. 
Now, for those of you that haven't come across these, they're basically a graphic meant to be looked at on a computer and they've got visuals and information. So I created this infographic and I called it protecting our planet in our own little way. Now, this graphic started by explaining that on average across the site, we'd been using 15,000 paper cups per month. And then under the next subtitle called Habitat Impact, it said that one paper cup caused 0.07 square meters of trees to be lost. So for 15,000 cups, that was 1,050 square meters of trees or between 500 to 1,000 trees being cut down per month just so we could have these paper cups. Then I went on to cover CO2 emissions that were used in making the cups and finally and lastly cost. Putting that story in context around that change helped people to visualise the bigger positive impact of the change that we're making and it gave them some digestible facts to take away and share. And uh, it, it went quite well. They were quite happy about doing something for the environment and, and it was a good thing to do besides obviously saving some cash for the business. And the best speakers and communicators create stories out of data. Now, case studies and examples are another way to make the data interesting and compelling. At the same, the same company that I was at, the guys on the shop floor were making wires and cables for aeroplanes, but a lot of them were disengaged and partly because they didn't see their work as important. And often in business, if there is a disconnect between what the employee is doing and them appreciating the impact of their work, that, that does lead to disengagement. So they got data about the numbers, numbers of cables that they produced per year, but that's boring. There's nothing that you can relate to there. But that same data in the context of how many planes they kept safely in the air or using a case study of a passenger that was maybe um, scared of flying, but the fact that they had that multimedia system and can watch their favourite films made the journey bearable and, and that was something that they'd helped to build. And that has the potential to make things more relatable and more engaging not not just in presentations but when you're you know if you're a manager in a business or a leader communicating with your team stories are fantastic ways of of getting engagement so if your conf if your information is really complex or highly abstract then another way if you can't use a case study or an example is a, a thing that you can use is a vivid metaphor or an analogy now, a guy called Russell Brunson, who you may have heard of, he's a marketing genius, I love him. He calls this the kind of like bridge because um, you're saying there's this thing which is really complicated, but it's kind of like something else which isn't complicated and that people can relate to. So you need to ask yourself the question, what, what is this thing like? In another context, what would it be like? Is it like something in nature or something in music or football or I know films, movies, um, use your imagination. Great teachers really understand this, especially with little ones where their ex you know, experience of the world is limited and they have to make things relate back to something that the child might have come into contact with. Um, and they give metaphors and analogies all the time to help these children begin to understand the theories and ideas that they've got to master. I like to use the com cosmic calendar as an example here. So I, I didn't know what the cosmic calendar was, but I had a look. And uh, the, basically, the cosmic calendar is kind of like a normal calendar, except that they've mapped the whole 13.7 million billion years of our universe onto a year. And where the Big Bang happened is at midnight on 1st of January. And today is midnight on December 31st. So the cosmic calendar is kind of like a normal calendar but with just a little bit of a twist. So for you to achieve your presentation goals, it's critical that you can make technical information accessible and engaging for your audience. Now, firstly, you need to make sure you're clear on the purpose of your presentation and you know the audience you're going to be speaking to. Then you need an attention grabbing lightning bolt opening and you should then follow that with your best material throughout your presentation to link into your key messages, use stories, case studies, metaphors or analogies and that kind of like bridge to bring your data to life for the audience. 
But the most important point I want you to take away from today's show is that you need to see your subject through the eyes of your audience. Your goal is to provide genuine value to them, to give them uh, the additional context that they need to understand why your data is so important. And doing this will increase your audience's engagement and it will help them to retain and understand the material and probably want to make them want to share it too because who doesn't like to look like a brain box down the pub and also it will help you achieve your goals hope you enjoyed that little snippet coming up next is a man called malcolm gregory and he's providing my next insights for you and this is an extract from episode 30 now malcolm hasn't always been a confident speaker, which seems to be a theme in this episode. And in his early days, he was keen to avoid doing presentations because he didn't feel that he fitted the mould. Eventually, though, he discovered the secret to unlocking his confidence as a speaker and he's used speaking to stand out and win business ever since. He, over the years, has developed a reputation uh, for his ability to dispel complexity and reduce challenging scenarios to simple and ordered next steps. Within the legal profession, he's recognised as a leader in his field of employment law and he can often be found in court arguing cases for his clients. And as a speaker, he's sought after because he can make employment law engaging. And here he's going to be giving you great tips for making mundane content memorable. Okay, so um, now I've spe- seen you speak a number of times, and I know obviously you've got this down to earth style, and you, but you also use stories and humour. And is this something you've had to work to develop, or is it something that that you, comes naturally to you? Um, I think it, it's how I understand things. So I'm a very visual learner, and um, I like to draw diagrams, but also a story puts context to even the driest subject. So. After 25 years of having done this job, there's usually a story or a set of facts that you can use just to bring it to life. And in employment law, you know, until you do the strangest things, I mean, that's a, that's, sounds like it should be a TV show. Um, <laughs> they really do. And, and you can pick them up and you've got them in your back pocket for that moment when you're trying to explain how a particularly difficult concept um, of discrimination works or, you know, just something along those lines. So I find stories are a really good way, one, to memorize the content because you've got that in the background and it, it are, will identify the, um, the legal point that you're trying to make. Yeah. But also it engages with people and it takes them away from staring at a screen and yeah. engaging with you instead, which I think is really important. Yeah, because you do. I mean, obviously, when you know, as I said, I've seen you before, and you have you have some notes that you give out, which are quite dense. They're, they will, they would be there in employment law, but you don't often use those. It's it's very much. I think I, I don't even think I see. I've used a flip chart. I think I haven't seen you use many slides at all. No, I can't use PowerPoint. And um, sorry, I say I can't. I don't like to use PowerPoint, and if I'm forced to use it it tends to affect the presentation. I find it um, quite restrictive. And I, have, I, have a, I, I tend to think out loud. So if I'm going through a process which isn't scripted in the sense that, you know, I know what I'm saying. So I'm, if somebody's asked a question, I'm thinking out loud. Having a PowerPoint behind me really just puts me off and tries to straightjacket me into a particular um, way of looking at things and the only time I do use any aids are flip charts so I'll sometimes draw a diagram if if it's easier for me to understand what I'm talking about and then hopefully it becomes visual for everyone else they get it to. Brilliant okay and so how do you prepare for your talks I mean I know you, you said that's one of the sort of fundamentals for building you know your confidence in what you're speaking about have you got do you, do you use the same method every time how do you do that? Um, I write really detailed notes. So, I mean, you've said that my my notes are dense and they're dense for two reasons. One is that I think it's great to have a lead behind where they, the, the audience don't have to really start writing a lot of detail. They can listen and engage. Um, I know the opposite can be true as well, where if you've got an audience and they're taking a lot of detailed notes, then they might be thinking more about it. But I think that interrupts the flow and I'd much rather make eye contact and engage them in a conversation, even if it's a presentation, even if it's a monologue, I'd like to feel more of a conversation type um, atmosphere. 
And so if they know they've got 30, 40, 50 pages of notes that will say everything that I've said in a lot more detail to go back to, then they're more inclined to sit and listen. So mm-hmm. that helps me. And also in the preparation, if I've written that many notes, then I know my material. So that's how I prepare. I just do detailed notes. And do you pick out the stories you're going to use in advance or do you just sort of wait and see if it's, what comes to mind when you're making that point? I, to be honest with you, I, it tends to spring to mind and I can do the same presentation five times and often it will be different stories just because they'll become refined or there'll be a slightly different angle to it. Or the audience, if it's more of a discussion group, will be bringing out slightly different points themselves. So I've got in my back pocket a lot of different scenarios that, um, that I use and I do think on my feet quite a lot as well. Brilliant. That's good. I think that gives that sort of bit of spontaneity so that you've, you've got the ammunition ready to use. It's just you pick the right one depending on the context and the question asked, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you were advising someone, perhaps someone who was, who was working, you know, a junior member of staff that felt, you know, that, that was struggling with speaking but would ha- you know is going to have to do it in that technical sort of detail stuff, what would be the sort of top tips that you would give them or coach them on to make the things more engaging? Um, Throw PowerPoint away. Only use it if you need to show graphs or pictures because I don't think seeing a word on the screen helps anybody. It just turns the audience into people who stare at TV screens. Um, So you want to make lots of eye contact and you really need to know your material so well that whatever it is you're trying to get across, you can summarize it in a sentence at the end of the story, at the end of the presentation. It doesn't matter what it is. And you have to do it so that you can understand it yourself in that context. And I think that's what takes the time. So you might have to explain a new piece of legislation, which in theory is going to take an hour. But at the end of it, you want a couple of sentences which are just going to really encapsulate everything that you just said. And if you can get to that stage, and you can do it in your own way, speaking at your own speed, um, with all the you know the things that your your family would recognise as being your normal characteristics, then it'll come across really naturally. And I think that's probably that's my best tip. If I was required to do lots of formal speaking, reading speech, I just couldn't read a speech. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it reminds me. It reminds me of a speech that was written for me not that, not that long ago, and it was brilliant. You know, every word on the page was carefully thought through, and I got as far as the first half of the sentence, and then I just completely made the rest up myself. But that was <laughs> that was just I couldn't help myself, and so I'm not I'm not good at that type of thing. And if somebody wanted some tips on it, then I'd be the wrong person to ask. Okay, cool, brilliant. Okay, and so in your view, then, from people that you've seen speak, what makes a difference? for you between a good speaker and a great speaker? Somebody that gives me energy and inspires me, that would be a great speaker. So the content is really important and a good speaker will get across content. But a great speaker makes me go out of the room and do something um, and tell everybody about it and keep telling them about it until they're bored of hearing it. And those sorts of speakers, I think, are few and far between. And when I see one, it really does make an impact. And is that what you aspire to be like? I would say that um, if I could even get 10% of the way towards that, then I'd be really happy. I don't know too many people that go out of one of the presentations that I've done evangelizing about it. But uh, yeah, if I I could go from average to good or from good to a little bit better, then that would be fantastic. Brilliant. I think you're underselling yourself a bit there, Malcolm. But uh, anyway, good. (laughs) There you go. Hope you picked up some great tips from Malcolm there. Okay, who have I got next? Well, it's a lady who has spent a large part of the last 15 years happily taking people's crap. Catherine Brooke McKenzie helps people feel well again using alternative therapies, but particularly colon hydrotherapy. So here, Catherine's talking about her public speaking and how she overcame the fear she had and found her voice. And she's also going to be sharing insights with you to engage people in a topic that's not normally discussed in polite society and that's because she's on a mission to wake people up to the importance of the gut and your poo so from Catherine, you're going to get ideas for structures and frameworks for sharing sciencey stuff successfully we've been talking about your mission you want to um 
you know, make people aware of this stuff. And you recently started speaking about it. And it's, I know it's something that you wanted to do for a long time. But what got in your way before? Because probably it's been something that you've, you've, you could have talked about years ago. Yeah, I think I kind of started finding out about it about five years ago, but I just couldn't get myself over the hump. Fundamentally, it was a lack of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do, as, as you can tell, really f- believe that people need to start thinking differently about their bowel health, but I was just too inhibited and too self-conscious to be the voice of the poo. Right. <laughs> So it was a big personal hurdle for me to get over to address. I needed to address that about mm-hmm. um, how I was going to present such a challenging subject to an audience in a way that it could be heard and be of benefit to them and also to deal with my own self-confidence issues, yeah? Yeah. So it's just taken a bit of time. And then I came across this lovely lady, Sarah Archer, <laughs> um, and who's, who's, yeah, helped me climb over that hurdle, and here I am. Oh, well, thank you for that. But I, so, so let's, let's dig in, because there are other people. So there's two aspects to the, the things that were getting in your way. One was you, mm-hmm. and the other was how can I get this sensitive and, and potentially taboo subject and talk about it in a way that will work for people so that they can actually get over that and hear it. Mm. Um, so first of all, are there any tips that you can give to other people who are feeling the same way, particularly around the sort of the, the anxiety, the confidence, all of that insecurity stuff, um, to get over it and, and move forward to start speaking? Yeah, I, I think the one of the most important things which I've learned from working with you is about structure. Mm. Structure, preparation, and the use of real-life stories to get your message across. Cool. Um, because it, it's really easy to undervalue your own experience. Yes. And the, you kind of think because it's something you live with inside your head or everybody already has that knowledge or, or lots of people say, don't they, well, I don't have any stories. Actually, it does, it's not like you need to tell it once upon a time. It's just an anecdote or it's just a, you know, an actual experience that you can speak about with passion and almost relive it in your own head as you're telling it. Yes. And that comes across with a sense of authenticity and... I think your audience will, will feel your credibility yeah. around the subject because of it. So that's what I'd say is really sort of look, look at your look at your own experience and, and find little stories. And I think often speakers and write, writers as well uh, spend so much time sharing the small details from their knowledge base that they make it about themselves and not about the audience. Yeah. And um, you, if you can present your knowledge in a way that engages the audience in their own experience of what you're talking about. Mm. And it's, it's like your position of speaker exists for the benefit of the audience and not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And I think some people get sort of hung up about that. Yeah. It's, it's like you, you imagine, I used to do this before working with you, I used to imagine myself presenting to my peers, which of course would terrify me because straight away I'd think, well, I don't know enough about this particular part or this, you know, particularly scientific stuff and big long words that don't make sense to the layperson. But it's, it's not these people I'm trying to help. Yeah. They already have the knowledge. I want to be talking to the layperson who doesn't have the benefit of the experience and, and would benefit from hearing it, yeah? Absolutely. So making it relatable yes. to them. Yeah. Yeah. And and the structure thing, so you found that helpful? Very much so, yeah. Um, I, I know that as a speaker, you're not, you're not meant to be dependent on your PowerPoint slides yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. It's not like, I'm not, I've been to some recently where I've just seen people reading... <laughs> Oh, right. You know, death by PowerPoint. Is yeah, that what it's it? awful, isn't it? Yeah. It, it? yeah, it is a bit, because it's like, well, I've, by the time I've got... I've, I can read really quickly, so I got to the bottom of the slide and they're still on the first bit, and it's, it's pretty boring, yeah. really. Um, so there's a don't-do-that tip. Yes. But the, I think creating a, um, a, a presentation helped to put the, that Im- the images in my head. It gave me the structure, so I don't rely on it. It's just pictures, really, rather yes. than, than tons of content. Because I know my subject, I, c- I can speak... But that's yeah. really important, isn't it? I mean, it's you've got to trust yourself. At the end of the day, it's you, your stories, and you know, and and like you said, being the vehicle for the message for the audience. And you're, you know, you're always ahead of the audience. Mm. And it's just sort of trusting that the right words will come. I mean, I, there is a sense because you can do all the prep, but at the point you get on stage, then it's it's you, and you need to trust yourself. Has that been a bit of a, a sort of leap of faith at times, or? Yeah, I, I think so. It's also because you never know what your audience is going to be like. I mean, you can, you can try and um, you know predict it as much as possible, but but in the end, you never know who's going to be there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I think having that, that structure has been really valuable. Good, excellent. And now we talked about poo is a bit of a taboo. It's not, mm. it's not discussed in polite society. And, and doing, a, doing a talk on it, you know, <laughs> we obviously work together on, on, your, you know, on the talk, yeah. but what have you done to, to make the subject more palatable? And I, I, <laughs> use the yeah, I know, I know too. Yeah. yeah. So what, what sort of thing, I mean, we, you already mentioned using stories, but mm. what sort of things have you done? Well, um, as you say, crossing that threshold of polite society, particularly in the UK, because we, we've done that quite tight here around the whole poo thing, um, it's, been, it's been quite difficult. Um, what I've found has really been helpful is using humour yes. and having a giggle, because it kind of takes the sting out of any embarrassment that people might feel, Yeah. which initially they do. Yeah. Uh, again, because in a group situation, it's not the, the usual thing we share openly and, and, and particularly at you know, first meetings, yeah? Um, so I think what I find is if, if I lead with a couple of my own personal stories, not what's things that I find in the clinic, um, <laughs> I just, see, that's what happens. It makes me laugh just thinking about it. Um, then I find people then kind of get on board and then they'll suddenly start to share things or they'll, they'll, you know, they'll make comments and then it becomes, you know, not necessarily interactive, but they're engaged. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. So use personal stories with a bit of humour. Definitely, yeah. 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 Excellent. Okay, what else? Anything else that you, for people who have got a, a delicate subject or a complex subject or anything like that, anything else that you can, because there is complexity in what, you know, it's, it's, there's science and medicine and, you know, all yeah. of that stuff as well. And I think you might have mentioned a little bit about making it relatable. Have you got any other tips for helping people who, who want to get the message across? I think to balance the, 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 the gravity with the levity. Yeah. So it's like when you've, when you've got their attention because they're, they're engaged and they're kind of inverted commas amused, yeah. at that point then you can introduce something that has a little bit more gravity and, you know, it, it's, it's a serious matter. Yes. Um, and that can have, as, as a speaker, have a lot more impact. Yeah. Because there's such an emotional shift from the ha-ha-ha, oh, you know, to the oh my God. But it kind of makes it safe as well. Yes. So if you're dealing with a difficult subject, I think that's that's the way to do it. Yeah, brilliant. That's really cool. You've done, you know, we've we've worked together. You've done talks since now. What is your process for getting ready for a talk now? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, you know, this is funny because I did one recently, and it's, it's always important to feel comfortable, and you have to be yourself. Yes. Um, so I don't want to wear, you know, clothes that might, you know, make me feel restricted or something like that. So I went along in a, in a fairly relaxed pair of brown dresses <laughs> and a brown. Top and the lady said, You even come dress as a poo. <laughs> Which I thought, yeah, thanks very much. So yeah, wear something that you feel comfortable in. I know that sounds like a statement of the obvious. Um lots of preparation, lots of practice, but not so much that you become like a robot. Yes. Um knowing your framework, as we've already said, is is really important. Confidence in your equipment, that's important as well. Yes. Because you don't want that kind of thing collapsing when you get there. Yeah. Um arrive nice and early. I always take a bottle of water with me and for me not be <laughs> I'm not too far away from a toilet because what I, I think I used to experience as nerves, now I realise is a little bit of excitement. Yes. Because now that I've got over that hurdle of being kind of frightened, yeah, um, I realise that actually I'm quite excited about it. Yeah. And it's it's getting on board with seeing myself in a, in a different way. That that is the thing. It's about reframing the nerves. Now I talk, you know, we've talked about this before, and I talk about it with. With, with clients and then on the podcast it's it is it's getting your body's getting ready for peak performance mm. so it's a good thing it's not a bad thing it's reframing that stuff well what's actually happening inside your body is it's it's without sounding crude it's dumping everything that's not necessary uh, because yes you're going into a peak performance phase yeah so what happens going back to the poo thing is that your sympathetic nervous system takes over and what that does is sends all the energy in your body to all the places where you're going to need it Right. And digestion at that moment is not what you need to be doing. So it's like we need to get this out of the way now. Let's get this out of the way. Let's not, yeah, let's not kind of like uh, get, get involved in sending energy in the wrong direction. Just just get it out. And that's what you, that's why you end up going to the toilet several times. Ah, that's really interesting. So it literally is your body going, right, we don't need this yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. It, you need to be done with this so that you can focus on on this performance that yeah, you know this absolutely, yeah. whatever and i guess it goes back to you know we everything goes back to the sort of fight flight thing and that's it's, exactly what it is yeah. yeah cool and so how have the talks gone so far well it's um it been, i've been very fortunate because i've been invited to uh, speak for some really great groups yeah and um it, 
know, because of the subject matter, I'm always very grateful that anybody's come in the first place because it's not for everybody. Um, sometimes there's a little reticence to the subject, I suppose, at the outset, but by the end, I've seen lots of smiley faces and lots of uh, I can hear lots of conversations being had, you know, after around the room, and, that, and that's the whole point for me is to get people talking about it. So, yeah, it's been successful, and I've really enjoyed it. Oh, and I forgot to say, if you want to listen to the full episode with Catherine, it's number 79. Okay, well, the last few insights come from me. And the original episode this came from was 160. Now, on the face of it, some topics look drier than the Sahara Desert. And a lot of people will get blocked from sharing their message because they struggle to see how to make it interesting. But do you know what? I don't believe there's any subject you can't make engaging for an audience. And in this extract, and I tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you here. It's taken me so many takes to get that word right. I don't know why. I'm just being honest. This is a little bit insight for you. (laughs) In this extract, I'm sharing some suggestions for how to do just that. I was doing a talk for a company this week, which was quite exciting. Nice to be doing those again. And this was on the power of storytelling in business. And amongst the questions I got afterwards was this one. Can you make boring topics interesting? And I understand why I got asked that question and it's not the first time it's come up and why people might feel it's an issue. Because let's face it, on the surface, some topics look drier than the Sahara Desert. And a lot of people will get blocked from sharing their message because they struggle to see how they can make it interesting. But I don't believe there's any subject that you can't make engaging for an audience. And that's what I want to show you in this episode. So if you've dreaded your turn to pitch at a networking meeting, or you've said no to speaking opportunities, or you've stopped yourself from doing a podcast or video or webinar because you think your subject is boring then this is for you. My challenge here is to show you that you can make anything sexy. So I decided to start by finding out the most boring subjects in the world. Hello, Google. At the time of recording, according to top10s.com, the 10 most boring topics of conversation are number one, the weather, number two, celebrities, three, personal health, Four, Facebook. Five, politics. Six, insurance. Seven, maths. Eight, sports. Nine, baby showers. And ten, rocks. Now, I'm guessing that you're probably thinking, I don't believe that. I'm betting that's because there's at least one topic on this list that you're interested in or you've had an interesting conversation about. And you found that thing interesting because of three ingredients colliding. Now, I'd already planned to talk to you about one of these ingredients. But in the course of my research and planning for this show, I reminded myself of the two others, which are described in Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Now, the premise of his book is that certain conditions cause messages to go viral. I'm going to share my take on those things from his book. But for a more in-depth look at this idea, do go and check it out yourself. And I've put a link to that book in the show notes. So the three laws that Gladwell suggests need to be in play to make a message go viral are the law of the few, the stickiness factor and the power of context. Now, the law of the few is about sharing your message with the right people. The stickiness factor is about how engaging the content of the message is and the power of context is the social and environmental factors in play when the message is received. And here's an example of how these things working together can turn something very ordinary into something extraordinary. Okay, so... This year, I'm planning to walk 2.5 kilometres, about 1.55 miles, for charity. Would you sponsor me? 
I'm guessing you might be thinking something along the lines of, why would I sponsor you for that? It's about 4,000 steps and I do more than that in a day walking to and from my kitchen for refreshments. And yet, there is a man who brought hope and light to a nation and raised £32 million by doing just that, walking 1.55 miles. But Captain Sir Tom Moore was 99 years old when he set off and achieved his goal of walking 100 times around his 25-metre garden to raise £1,000 and help others. The facts of this story are that a man walked 100 times around his garden, a total of 1.55 miles, except that the three laws Malcolm Gladwell mentions were at play here. In April 2020, Sir Tom Moore set out to walk those 10 laps of his garden to say thank you to the NHS staff who'd helped him through cancer and a hip operation. His daughter worked for a consultancy firm that has a marketing arm and she thought it would make a nice story for the local media. So she put together a press release and sent it from the company. The content of the message was very sticky. He was 99 years old, a war veteran, walking with a frame, and he'd just come through major health issues. And then there's the context. In April 2020, the world was in lockdown. The pandemic was taking lives and things were bleak. Sir Tom gave people hope in the darkness. Instead of watching the Covid figures, people had an alternative. Look at the number of laps completed and the pounds rising. So those are all in play in that story. And how can we bring this back to sharing our message and boring topics? Well, the first thing is this. As you've heard me say before, you have to share your message with the right audience. Find the people who care about the issue or problem that your message relates to or find a way to position it so that they can see why they should care. The second thing is that you have to make your message sticky. And by that, I mean concrete, engaging, relatable and memorable. And this is a lot easier if you understand your audience and you pick the right one. And lastly, you need to put it in context for them. What does this mean and or what could it mean for your audience? And there are three tools that I want to share with you today that will help you make any subject compelling for your audience. And these are analogies, framing devices and of course storytelling. I've talked about analogies a lot in previous shows and these are things that you can compare the thing that you're talking about to that are more easily understood and sort of concrete for your audience. They make it sticky for them. Here's a couple of examples. Cloud storage for computer files and software is kind of like renting a house. You can keep your stuff in there, only someone else owns the space. Or podcasting is to radio like self-publishing is to books. So that's analogies. Then there's framing devices. And I go into more detail on these in episode 50 of The Speaking Club, 5-0. Framing devices allow you to change an aspect or the context of something so that people can experience it in a new way. It's kind of like if you took the same journey, but instead of going by car, you went by boat or doing the same journey but instead of doing it in 2021 you did it in 1821. The experiences of that same journey would be very different by changing one aspect of it. Theatre companies and film directors are often changing aspects of well-known stories to keep them fresh and exciting for new audiences like Romeo and Juliet by Baz Luhrmann for example. And then lastly, building a story around a dry topic 
is a great way to make it engaging and interesting. So what I wanted to do is use these three tools on some of the boring topics that came up in my search to prove my point that you can make anything sexy. Now for me, the three things on that list of 10 that stuck out as least exciting were insurance, maths, and baby showers. So let's start with insurance. It was 1935, and through her tears, Lottie, my great-grandmother, stared at her four children, and then her eyes flicked to the new piano in the corner. Why had she been so stupid? Things had been a little tight financially the months before. Her husband Art had moved the family to a new house recently and then splashed out on a new piano too. So they'd taken the decision to pause payment on some of the non-essentials. But as Lottie began to explain to the four little faces that their father had suddenly been taken ill and wouldn't be coming home and that they would have to leave the house... She wondered how they had ever considered the life insurance payment non-essential. My grandma was only 12 when her father died. And whenever she told me about it, she always mentioned the regret her mother felt over that decision. Insurance is not a luxury when it comes to protecting your future. That's insurance. And that is actually a true story. I hope that as ever that sparks some ideas and the takeaways for you are that nothing is boring. And three things that make a message sort of go viral, make it exciting are, you know, telling the right people, making sure your message is sticky and putting the right context around it. And those three tools that you can use to make your topic sexy are analogies. What could they be like? Framing or putting things in a new context so that you're shaping it in a way that makes it more exciting for people. And lastly, stories. Because whenever you put a story around something, it's automatically more engaging. And you can use all of the other tools in your stories as well. Okay. There you go. I hope you got some valuable insights from me and the other experts sharing their wisdom and experience in this show. And I hope it's tempted you to listen to the original episodes for the first time or to listen again. As ever, do go and check out the work of these great people and find and connect with Karen, Catherine and Malcolm to let them know if what they said helped or resonated with you. And obviously, I'd love to connect with you too. And I've got lots more resources to share with you to help you grow your audience and sell more when you speak. And particularly, you might be interested in my upcoming masterclass where I'm going to be sharing a simple structure for creating your talks that will make your message compelling, engaging and inspiring. And you can find all of that over at saraharcher.co.uk. And as ever, if you're a regular listener, and you get value from the show, would you mind just take a couple of minutes for me and leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. Thanks so much as usual for joining me. It really uh, makes me grateful that you've chosen this show when there's so many other podcasts that you could listen to. And I'll be back next week to give you some more speaking and marketing aha tools, tips and inspiration. In the meantime, don't you sit around waiting for life to happen to you. Go out and make it happen for you. In other words, don't forget to go and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. 
each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.